You have made it for us to rejoice and be glad in. And we are glad for you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings, all of your covenant blessings and honor. Thank you, Lord, for answers to prayer, which you give us so faithfully. You're always on time with the things that we need. You're always on schedule with everything that uh, is for us. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. So uh, today we're going to talk about running with the vision. Amen. <clears throat> running with the vision. Amen. <clears throat> and you know that that is part of the scripture for uh, the cornerstone of our ministry uh, that is part of our mandate from God in addition to uh, the believer's ministry. We are commanded to run with a vision that God has given this ministry. And so uh, <clears throat> sometimes we kind of take it for granted or assume that we understand uh, what's going on. But I am so thankful that uh, God refreshes us and brings us back to remembrance uh, what we are here for and what we are committed to as watchmen. Um, many people will say things like, well, God never called me to that, or, yeah, I don't know if I'm called to that. Well, if you function in that role, then that's part of your calling, you know. Uh, being faithful to it, that's up to you and what you decide you want to do. But, and then there's some people who, who feel that they are called and, and they can function in this role for a season, but then when trouble comes, they decide they don't want to do it anymore and move on. And so, but when God puts a vision in your heart, He makes that part of your responsibility to do your part to bring it to pass. And I don't know of anybody who's received vision from God who is not responsible to make sure that they carry out their part in it. He doesn't give you vision for nothing. He doesn't share. This isn't like a shopping spree or a a little gossip situation between you and God where he shows you stuff and just to show it to you. There is purpose in everything that God does. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste energy. Not his, not anybody else's. And so many times when people are drawn to prayer or they're drawn to uh, the things of God, they want to see things change. All of that is part of the watchman's calling. And so I, I think it's 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 uh, proper for us to get as much understanding of it as we possibly can, even if you've been doing this for a while. <clears throat> understanding is always a great thing. So I figured we'd talk about it and what uh, what it meant to, uh, what it means to us to be faithful and to stand upon our watch. Um, the watchman was given specific instructions in the book of Ezekiel. You'll see the there's a chapter chapter on the watchman and instructions for him, and that's one of the the few offices, jobs, or requirements in the Word that you will see such a detailed instruction. Got me. So it's important for us to know God's not given this instruction on deaf ears. Or for no reason whatsoever, he fully expects us to fulfill what uh, these instructions are. Part of the watchman's instructions was that if he saw trouble coming, he was to alert and warn the people. So warning is part of the watchman's mandate. 
Uh, it's not for us to just sit and, and watch people go over the cliff, but we are to um, alert people that danger is up ahead, and we are to <clears throat> let them see that God wants to shield them from danger. Uh, it's never too late to be shielded from danger, uh, which means that as a watchman, you don't ever write anybody off as uh, not being able to be saved, not being able to receive God's help. Uh, the watchman really is a mercy um, calling and a mercy anointing uh, because it does give people an opportunity uh, to repent. It gives them an opportunity to make changes when need to be changed. And so in uh, Ezekiel chapter 33 is where those instructions are given. Um, I'm going to get a easier to um, just in a modern language um, translation here real quick. And so that we'll be able to um, get a good get feel for what the watchman's responsibilities are. Sometimes if you read it in a more modern, up-to-date language, you can understand a little bit better. So I'm going to get Ezekiel. Oh, like I said, where are you at, Ezekiel? Don't you hide from me. What are we in, 33? Okay. And I think this is the some some contemporary English, I think. It says, the Lord said, Ezekiel, son of man, warn your people by saying, someday I, the Lord, may send an enemy to invade a country. And suppose its people choose someone to stand watch and sound a warning signal when the enemy is seen coming. So that's the watchman. So um, in in the King James says, if I we they will prepare a watchman. Um, the, take a man of your coast and set him for their watchman. So this is somebody that the people chose. In this day and age, God chooses. Amen. So, and they really, the people's choice was generally God's choice anyway. But suppose that person, uh, he says, if any of these people hear the signal and ignore it, they will be killed in battle. So if you warn the people and they don't heed your warning, they are in jeopardy and cease, but I will be there. It will be their own fault because they could have escaped if they paid attention. But suppose the purple person watching fails to sound the warning. The enemy will attack, kill some of the sinful people in that country, and I, the Lord, will hold that person responsible of their death. Ezekiel, I have appointed you to stand watch for the people of Israel. So listen to what I say, then warn them for me. When I tell wicked people they will die because of their sins, you must warn them to turn from their sinful ways. But if you refuse to warn them, you are responsible for their death. If you do warn them and they keep sinning, they'll die because of their sins. You'll be innocent. And he said, Ezekiel, son of man, the people of Israel are complaining that the punishment for their sins is more than they can stand. They have lost all hope for survival. They blame me. I tell them that as surely as I am the living God, I don't like to see wicked people die. I enjoy seeing them turn from their sins and live. Okay, so God does not enjoy judgment or the final judgment on people. He'd rather see them repent. 
and tell them that when good people start sinning, all the good they did in the past cannot save them from being punished. That's another mistake people make. They think they can get away with a little bit because they used to do good, you know, back in the day. He says their past sins will be completely forgiven and they won't be punished. So he says that he says and remind them that when wicked people stop sinning, their past sins are completely forgiven and they won't be punished. Now we new Christian New Testament Christians need to read this until it's second nature to us. Because how many people who are blood bought go around in condemnation and don't want to try anymore because they think they've done so much bad that no good will come to them again. Suppose I promise good people that they will live, then later they start sinning and believe they will be saved by the good they did in the past. Suppose I warn wicked people that they will die because of their sins and they stop sinning and start doing right. For example, they need to return anything they've taken as security for a loan and anything they've stolen. And if they stop doing evil and start obeying the law, they will live. Their past sins will be forgiven. Amen. So you make restitution. You do the best you can and and start living right before God. He, He forgives you. Ezekiel, your people accuse me of being unfair, but they are the ones who are unfair. If a good people start doing evil, they will be put to death because they have sinned. And if wicked people stop sinning and start doing right, they will save themselves from punishment. But the Israelites still think I'm unfair. So warn them that they will be punished for what they have done. So when you know better, you know to do right and you don't do it, it's sin. It got me. When you're ignorant and do wrong, it's sin, but God gives you time to repent. Amen. Sin is sin. It still has an effect on everybody around you, uh, no matter what your excuse is for it or what your reason for it is. It still adds trouble to the earth. You know, that's why God hates it, because he can't bless it. He says, uh, he says, uh, 12 years after King, uh, Joy, Joachim and the rest of us have been led away as prisoners to Babylon. A refuge who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me on the fifth day of the tenth month. He told me that the city had fallen. The evening before this man arrived at my house, the Lord had taken control of me. So when the man came to me the next morning, I could once again speak. So then the Lord said, Ezekiel, son of man, the people living in the ruined cities of Israel are saying, Abraham was just one man and the Lord gave him this whole land of Israel. There are many of us, so this land must be ours. They're thinking about their own power to do things. So Ezekiel tell them, I am saying, how can you think this land is still yours? You eat meat with blood in it and worship idols. You commit murder, spread violence, etc., etc. And you claim the land is yours. As surely as I'm living, the Lord God says, you people in the ruined cities will be killed in battle. Those of you living in the countryside will be eaten by wild animals and those hiding in caves and on rocky cliffs will die from deadly disease. I'll make the whole country an empty wasteland and trust and crush the power in which you take pride. Even the mountains will be bare and no one will try to cross them. I'll punish you because of your sins. So eventually the people kept sinning and uh, did not repent so Ezekiel 
being called as a watchman, and this is the most important part I want you to get from this, is that as he is called as a watchman, God begins to hold him to uh, the promises that that he is putting upon the people and so in, in other words when God starts to explain something to you about uh, situations and and inform you that means that that's going to play some role in your life what you have knowledge of makes you responsible to obey that knowledge in some way so when Ezekiel was called as a watchman, God began to teach him. He said, say, for instance, you pull somebody and you put them on this high tower and you told them to watch. He said, well, in the same way you do that in the natural, I do that in the realm of the spirit. And so that is how he explained to Ezekiel what his call was. He said, and there are people who are sinning. I want them warned. There are evil people. I want to save them if I can. And there are good people who are backslidden. I want to save them if I can. But it's up to you to warn them. So how will they know without a preacher? The word of God says, amen. And so that's the people of God. We know better. We have understanding of right and wrong. We know God's law. We know exactly what the law says. And yet many of us don't speak up and say plainly what God's word says. We're always intimidated by the devil and his forces and we don't want to cause any kind of what we call disturbance. Well, the disturbance is going to come when the light of God comes in anyway. You don't have any control over that. And so what we have to do is be faithful to our role that God's given us to do. And so that's what the watchman has to do. So the part that we're going to talk about today is running with the vision. And, and part of that uh, in, entails waiting as well. So if you turn to... To Habakkuk chapter two, uh, we'll, you'll, we'll see. Uh, it begins with well, with first chapter one, the prophet is complaining to God about all the bad people. You know, here I am serving you, God, and you got all these sinners. The sinners got all the money, they got all the this, they got all the that. They don't even seem to be suffering. They can go to any doctor they want to and pay for all the medical care they need. Big houses. They got servants. They got bodyguards. They've got everything, Lord. And they're wicked. We know they're wicked. They oppress people. They don't treat them right. And here we are doing the best we can and we don't have much. (laughs) So that was his complaint. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, you know, we have to understand what, what we're doing in our hearts and how God responds to that. And the nice thing about the mercy of God, He'll respond in a way that gives us hope. You know, we know we're wrong for complaining and comparing and, you know, being upset. We're supposed to bless the Lord at all times, not curse the sinner. But then we do it anyway. You know, somehow the church likes to compare itself with everything other than Christ. See, if you compare yourself with what you're supposed to compare yourself to, get in the word and see how you measure up. You know, start reading what God expects us to do and see how you measure up. Then, you know, your job is not to complain about uh, people who don't know any better or if they know better 
they're still doing wrong. You're not their judge. So we have to stay in our place, understand, but you know, we'll, we'll get exhausted with, with, uh, looking at things, but God still has an answer for us. So he shows the prophet the greatest mercy. Amen. Because he begins to reveal his plan. Uh, to him which it could have been he was left in the dark in chapter one i see all this rough stuff going on and people still living and all these people oppressing people and how long is this go go on god what's the deal here and so god graciously hears the prophet's complaint and he begins to minister truth to him but that whenever you start complaining about a problem you have to to volunteer to be part of the answer. You gotta to agree to be part of the answer. Because many times God gets us frustrated with what we see so that He can get our interest in it. And once we're interested, then we're hooked. Amen. There are people, I'm telling you, you can, from, from, from years back until you, people have always been uh, drafted into the army of God because of personal interest or personal hurt by situations that went on in life. You look at the, the healing ministries from time, from time past. They, so sickness ran through the house, killed all the brothers and sisters and they were the only one left and so forth. And they began to vow that they wanted to know if this was God or not. When they found out it wasn't a God and it, it was the devil, then they were sunk into it and, 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 you know, or sucked into it by the, the, the spirit of God just consuming them with um, the thought of the injustice of it. How many people have been drafted into service because they got tired of things being messed up and unjust? You, 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 the, the great ones, Martin Luther King, uh, Rosa Park, she said she wasn't the mother of nothing, you know, but she just got, she was tired that day and she sat down on the bus. And they call her the mother of the civil rights movement. Same thing with Dr. King. They were having a, a some kind of a meeting at the church that night. And he was the only man there, one of two men there. And they needed somebody to be the leader. And they drafted him to be the leader of it. He thought it was going to last for a couple meetings. And then the real leader would show up. You understand what I'm saying? And so uh, this is just common. Uh, that Same thing if you look at... Um, Oh, geez. In the book of Judges. I'm the least, I'm the poorest. Um, Gideon, yes, in the Bible. Uh, he started complaining, where are the miracles? If, if God is God, where are the miracles? Where's this? Where's that? Where's the other? And then God flips it around and says, you're the miracle. If somebody's going to produce miracles, I need somebody. So you're it. Huh? And so many times the things that we see that we know are not right and need to change, I'm not talking about your personal situation. Now you've got to work your covenant with God, folks. It's, you know, when you talk about things, we're talking about something outside of your, you don't have to have a personal interest in this. You know, it can just be a, a, a frustration. So I'm like Moses walking by that burning bush and then he stopped and noticed it. This is what I'm talking about. Things that are out of order or not quite 
the way they should be and you notice them. So because let me tell you why. If it gets past, if God got you involved in great things because of you personally and that's as far as it ever went, you drop it and it, you know, in a New York minute, if it doesn't happen fast enough for you or, or something else comes along or you get another problem, you're often running with your problem. But what God wants to do is to raise up people who will serve Him to make sure justice, judgment, righteousness come into the earth that's what he wants he wants his power and his presence to come into the earth that's what he's looking for so if you're a whiner and a complainer you might be a good candidate but you got to learn how to straighten up too you know you just can't some people are professional whiners you know there's oh the body of christ needs to do this and people will stop doing this and i you know all of this false watchman stuff you know um they're not people of action. So God wants people that will be motivated to listen to him, obey him, and do what his word says to do in these situations. So actually the watchman is one who waits for the vision. That's what your job is. You're to wait for the vision. And you know, you need to be familiar with what the vision is for this ministry. Because this is where you work. This is where you uh, expend your energy. Because if you don't, you'll think this is just come to church when you feel like and stay home when you don't. Hmm? Just a thought. You know, you have to be engaged. At all times. And I'm not talking about you can't, you can't rest your mind on something. Don't look at it as such a big burden because God has graced us all with the ability and the, the, uh, anointing and the help we need to do the job He's called us to do. It's not hard. Sometimes it's so easy we forget there's commitment involved in it. You see what I'm saying? And we have to always remember that God does not hire people part time. He's not, he doesn't hire seasonal workers. He doesn't have migrant workers. He has people who are citizens of his kingdom who are on call 24-7 to do the work of the ministry. That's, and I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about just five-fold ministers. I'm talking about believers as well. Amen. So we have to understand this, that, that he owns us. Uh, he's Lord of all. Uh, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And part of that includes doing what God has called you to do and learning how to be joyful in it and learning how to find out uh, as much as you can about your call and about the work he's called you to do. You've got to know this stuff, you know, or you won't be very effective. You won't stay with it for very long. Uh, you won't be able to um, um, ride out the assault of the enemy to disconnect you from what God's called you to do. Uh, it, that's always going to be there. You know, it's going to be subtle. It's going to sometimes, it's going to be uh, blatant sometimes, but it's always going to be there. The enemy's always trying to disconnect us from what God's called us to do. So you got to make a once and forever commitment. You know, this is who I am. This is what I do. 
I don't come down from my watch. I stand on my watch. Amen. And so if you go to chapter 2 of Habakkuk, I will stand upon my watch and set myself. Set means you don't move. That is a fixed position. It's not like I come down for lunch or I come down because my legs are tired. I come down because it's too hot up here. And <laughs> You set yourselves a watch. And I will watch and see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So uh, God's going to give you instruction. Then he's going to call you to account for what you did with what he gave you to do. This isn't like a free thing like some people may think. And it's not a, uh, uh, you know, a, a thing where you can let it go when you feel like it or when you, you know, I've had people tell me, uh, well, I had a church for a season. I'm thinking, seriously, you know, if you're called as a preacher, you preach when you get to heaven. All those people that we see in the Bible that were ministers, they're ministers now. That's an eternal calling. It doesn't stop. It's not just for earth and then no more. Jesus preaches in heaven. Amen. You know, a few people have been there. Jesse Duplantis says he's heard Jesus preach in heaven. He says he's got the loudest but sweetest voice. So everybody hears it all over heaven without a, you know, sound system, whatever. You know. And, and we got people who won't even come to your church if you don't have the right kind of sound equipment for them. I'm thinking, what happened to your voice? You know what I'm saying? It's a little, little sickness still, folks. We still got a long way to go in some things. But anyway, so uh, from the prophet's complaint comes a job. So you need to understand that. If you don't want a job, don't get in God's face with your complaint. Hear me? Because you will get drafted. Amen. This is true. You know, if people running around, some of the people that are, are dynamic forces in our society are people who started out with a grave complaint. Like some of the people in my heart just goes out to some of these parents who have lost children through murder and kidnapping and all. They give them support groups to attend, but you'll see some of them really stand out and they'll start to go visit lawmakers and they'll start to lobby, uh, you know, in Congress and all. They have received a call to see things change. Even though they have lost their child, their compassion goes out to other people to see if they can prevent it from happening to others. And that's what happens when we got, we get God's attention with a complaint. He will turn that complaint into some kind of action, uh, some kind of energy to mobilize us, to want to give us a vision for change coming. Amen. And not, it's not going to be like this all the time. And and I believe with all my heart that God helps those people. You know, he, he speaks to them. He gives them the energy to keep up and go day after day after day visiting the same people over and over and over again to get justice for, for a situation. So, I mean, this is a common thing that happens and he gives them the responsibility to watch over that work. They are watchmen over that work. The natural speaking that God has given them to do. So he gives the prophet a glimpse into the future. And that's what he does. He gives us answers. 
The Bible is full of your answers for the things that God that you see as problems in the earth. Amen. So you're not what he does. He takes your complaint and he turns it into an answer. So instead of letting you have that complaint and that's it, he will give you an answer. He said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I see it and I don't like it either. And this is what I'm going to do. And you're going to help me. Amen. Amen. So God gives the prophet a glimpse into the future. He saw much sin, devastation, but he also saw something else that God showed him. So he says here in verse 3, the vision is yet for an appointed time. But in the end, in other words, there has to be time elapsing, but you still have a watch. So you're not sitting there waiting for something to happen. You have to have some activity to cause it to happen. Amen. You must. Because that is not God's way. You just don't sit and wait for change. There's there's activity. If you have faith that a change is going to come, you have to find out the plan that you have. So God lays out the plan. He says, yeah, and, and you're right. The man's soul is lifted up in him, is not upright in him. He said, but the just shall live by his faith. So Habakkuk, which group are you in? Are you in the justified group? Are you in the wicked group? Justified people live with the vision before them at all times. They don't ever take their eyes off the vision. They know what they're working toward. They know what they're praying toward. They know when you start to get a response from God. They know all of these things and they cannot be persuaded otherwise. It's in them. When Once you receive the vision, it is in you. And everything that you do is toward that vision. When you give your offerings, it's toward that vision. When you work and do your ministry within the church, it's toward their, that vision. It's just not something to do until you get bored or tired with it or you think you got something more interesting to do. Everything works toward that vision. He says... Uh, Yea, also verse 4, 5, because he transgressed with wine, he is a proud man, he doesn't keep his uh, things at home, he enlarges his desire as hell and is as death and cannot be satisfied, but gathers unto himself all nations and heaps to him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increases that which is not his. So that's part of the the uh, warning that the watchman gives to people who are greedy. People want too much. He also talks about. Let me let me get this uh, other translation because I said I'm going to make sure you understand this because you know sometimes I'll make comments about some of them sacred cows out there and y'all look at me like I'm jealous of people but I'm telling you I'm not jealous of anybody unless they're doing more for God than I am and I mean for God not for themselves and making themselves a big thing so he says uh this is that um 
Yeah, the other version I had, modern English uh, version. Verse 5, wine is treacherous and arrogant people are never satisfied. They are also, they are no less greedy than death itself. They open their mouths as wide as the world of the dead and swallow everybody. But they will be mocked with these words. You are doomed. You stored up stolen goods and cheated others of what belonged to them. But without warning, those you owe will demand payment. Then you will become a frightened victim. You robbed cities and nations everywhere on the earth and murdered their people. Now those who survived will be as cruel to you. You're doomed. You made your family rich at the expense of others. You even said to yourself, I'm above the law. But you will bring shame on your family and ruin to yourself for what you did to others. Now, how many preachers have you seen that happen to? Do you understand what I'm saying? This isn't for like people out in the world. God holds his own people to an even higher standard. He says the very stones and wood in your home will testify against you. How many foreclosures do you see on these preachers who have these great big mansions and leave them? You know, or their church is left. Somebody else comes and takes their church and then they, they got all the people. You got me? You're doomed. You built a city on crime and violence, but the Lord all powerful sends up in flames the nations and people, the nations and people work so hard to gain. Just as the water fills the sea, the land will be filled with people who know and honor God. So God comes through and he gets all of these wicked people put put out of the way and then his glory begins to manifest so i'll go back to the king james verse 12 woe to him that builds a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity behold is it not of the lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity in other words you keep laboring and laboring you won't be able to hold on to it if you're doing it and it's not pleasing to god For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Now that's your vision. That's what we're working toward. When we have these meetings, uh, you know, for the glory of God and God begins to prepare us to carry his glory. Part of the the preparation is to get this stuff from the first, you know, 13 verses out of us. And prepare a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's trying to get us to understand that we shouldn't covet the world's goods. We shouldn't desire more than what belongs to us. You got me? And, and we shouldn't, one of the things that you can, you can see what happens is there's so much debt in certain areas in the earth now because of covetousness covetousness keeps us in debt we just gotta have certain things and don't want to ask god don't want to wait for god to bless us and don't want to think we we have to you know so so we'll fall for all kinds of schemes uh you know and and god then god has to shut the whole thing down don't tell me he won't do it he's done it before i've seen him do it in my lifetime when uh um uh, Jim and Tammy Faye and that that uh 
thing that they were building down there. Morris Cirillo tried to buy it from him and it was just so much and in so much debt and so it took it was just a money pit. It would consume anybody that that tried to get involved in it. So some of these things you have to just let them stand as a testimony to man's greed and God's judgment. And people will go by and say, well, what is that? That was such a nice place that they were building over there. And what happened to it? See, that's the kind of witness it gets to be after a while. You see what I'm saying? As some other people have lost things and others have come and claimed them for God. But they have to be careful too because whatever consumed them, the first owners of it, could be there to attach itself to the new ones. So you got to be careful. God tells you that these things are your property and, and not, uh, you know, just leave them alone and let God never covet what somebody loses. Never covet what somebody had and built and was great. And you go in and you're going to show people how to hold on to things and all this crazy stuff. That's not your job. Your job is to work toward the vision that God has put in your heart. And so we'll we'll get enough of that because many of these places never continue to function. It's like God says, I'm done with this and I don't want anybody to go in and try to rebuild on it because the foundation was wrong. And you'll see that, you know, there's we people were saying all the mega churches um, that that shut down. Um, this was right after. The millennium set in, 2000, 2008 was a big loss, and they're still dying off. Why is that? Because God's moved people out of there. You got me? He brought them in, he'll move them out. It's the same thing with anybody else who's trying to build something that's too big for God. If God doesn't approve of it, he will move you out. Got me? You know, God was showing me about people that, that, uh, talk about, brag about how many members they have. He said, you know, when David did that, he said, I killed the people. He said, now I just make them leave. That's my mercy. He said, I don't kill them for going in there, but I do cause them to leave if I didn't build it. So it's hard. You understand what I'm saying? Those people are not yours to count. That's why we don't have membership, do we? Have I ever asked y'all to join anything? I'm not counting anybody. You shouldn't either. Amen. It's up to God to bring people in. They come, it's the Lord. (laughs) Hopefully if they leave, it's the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And so you you just have to stay focused on what's before you. you got to stay focused on the job that's before you. You're not here to... To judge based on numbers or lack of. Amen. We pray for people to come in and we go out and witness and we continue to do the work of the ministry. So it's up to God to add to numbers as he sees fit. Got me? Amen. So, so these, these are, are things that, that me, we may think are not big deals, but they're big deals to God. You look at the way he treated them back in the day. He's still, his heart is still the same toward those things. Amen. So the earth will be filled. That's the vision. Amen. So if you don't have that in you, put a circle around that, underline it, memorize it, because that's the vision that this ministry is praying toward. Everything that we do is to see this vision fulfilled. 
the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now what does that mean? That means that you'll be able to walk out on the street and say praise the Lord to 90% of the people out there and they will respond in kind. You'll be able to go anywhere and nobody will persecute you because everybody will be on God's side. Got me? Amen. As the waters cover the seas, the seas cover, they say, about 90% of the earth. So about 90% of the people will know the glory, have a knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And it's happening now. If you pay attention, it's happening now. And I tell people this all the time. Like when I, I go to somebody, a total stranger, I'll go up to them and I'll, and they'll be coughing and I said, I said, can I give you some? Yeah. I said, this is a prayer cloth. I know exactly what it is. And they take it. See, that's the vision coming to pass, Father. And see, the Bible says those who are laborers in that vineyard will receive the first fruits. So I believe this this ministry receives the first fruits of the glory of God. Why? Because we've worked and labored in it. You should be so familiar with this that you should be able to recognize. You shouldn't be sitting up here thinking about where are the people. And grumbling and complaining. You got me? Especially when you don't bring anybody. You come by yourself, you leave by yourself. So you have no reason to complain. But you should be looking for the glory of God to increase in the earth. Like you should be looking for things like that. You should have a prayer cloth on you everywhere you go and not be afraid somebody's going to hurt your feelings by saying you can't pray for them. You don't have to pray for people anymore. You can give them something with the anointing on it. Do like Sandy Brown did the first time she had to, somebody witness to her. The girl left the, told her what God told her, tell her, ran out of the door. <laughs> she didn't want to hang around and see if her words were received or not. You stay too long, you'll talk them out of believing. Huh? It's just true. Feel like you gotta convince somebody to believe what you just told them. You just speak the word. Let God convince them that it's true. That's His job. Amen. We're just messengers. Just messengers. So when I was reading this passage, two words stood out to me. The one is run. Write the vision and make it plain upon tables. That's in verse two. He may run that reads it, underline run. And it says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end it will speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it. So the other word is wait. Running and waiting are what we do. Amen. So you got to be sure that you're running at the right time and waiting at the right time. Amen. You do both of them by unction. You run by unction and you wait by unction. So we have to run with the vision. What is the vision? What do we run with? It's our prayer manual. Amen. Write that down too because some of you don't even understand what we're doing here. And so I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand so that you'll know the prayer manual is the vision. 
That's why people can come in here off the streets and just born again and start praying that prayer manual. It was made for people to pick it up and run with it. Amen. You see people's reaction to it. Amen. When they start to leaf through it, they say, oh, I can use this. That's a common see they've received the vision. So now they're ready to run with it. Nobody says, I don't understand it. You got to explain it to me. I got to be saved 10 years before I can be a watchman. Nobody ever tells you that because that vision was made to be able to run with. Amen. You can give that to your crazy aunt that, that, you know, thinks tongues is of the devil. Once they see the word and see they got a boy in prison, they read that prisoner's prayer. See, that thing is coming to pass big time. Say amen anyway. I know you don't pay attention to a lot of these things, but say amen anyway. Because now uh, our president has enacted all kinds of prison reform. They've let over 3,000 prisoners out of jail these people have earned uh some kind of credits they get in prison for good behavior so many months or years without giving them any trouble uh ability to be entrusted with the security of other prisoners at times they've earned stacked up all of this and it doesn't help them any because just stacked up for nothing but they keep trying anyway well, they've they've instituted a program now where they have people re-review these people and they get recommendations from from the people, the warden, whoever, whatever, whatever, and personal recommendations. They listen to the, the families of these people. Everybody's family wants them out of jail. But they begin to put all of these elements together to decide who can get early release, who can get clemency, who can have records expunged so they can start off as nuke. You can't tell me that's not the mercy of God, people. Now, I'm here to tell you there are people in jail that don't need to be there. A lot of the the penalties for crimes are made in emotional Reaction to, to propaganda and to protesters and all this kind of stuff. And pretty soon you're in jail for 20 years for selling marijuana or 40. That lady Alice Johnson was in for 40 years. First to first time offender. She was selling marijuana. Now you can sell it with no penalty in certain states. Now, now how does that make sense to anybody? And things haven't changed that much, folks. Now, I don't think it's good to be selling that stuff because people act crazy when they smoke it. And they'll steal to get money to get it. But still, how does that square up with giving somebody 40 years as a first offender? So she was one of the first people they let out of there. One of the first. Amen. Sometimes you just don't know what effect these changes have on everyday people. I mean, somewhere somebody is given new hope that they'll be able to get out. The Bible says, let the sign, we, as we petition God to let the sigh of the prisoner come up to you. In other words, have mercy on these people who are languishing behind bars. You know, a life sentence is pretty terrible. And they give them out so freely now, you know. 
Everything's a life sentence. Puts a burden on families, communities. You think that there are people, able-bodied people, just sitting up doing nothing who could be given a chance to do better. Amen. We give more mercy to people coming over the border to commit crime than we do sometimes to our own citizens. It's not right. And see, God's sick of it. See? So he starts to raise up people who can make a change. Watchmen who can watch over these things and make sure the job gets done. So that's what we're called to do. We're to watch over this glory that God wants to put out on the earth and make sure the job gets done. That's our job. Stay faithful until we see this verse come to pass. Amen. Just stay faithful till you see it happen. So God gives that prophet a glimpse into the future. Amen. At the end, he sees the glory poured out like a river, like the oceans. Amen. Like an ocean full of people in God's glory. He does that. And so we have to hold that vision inside of us. You know, you got to have that in you and know that you're really working towards something. You're not just showing up to pray once a week and then another another time. God wouldn't give you an anointing to pray. None of you would be able to even do that if God weren't with you doing it. And he doesn't invest himself in anything that's worthless. So stop comparing us with every other Tom, Dick, and Harry that's out here calling themselves a church or a ministry. you got to know what you're called to do. You gotta stay faithful to do it and leave other people's business to them. Amen. So to run means to be a footman. At somebody who <laughs> walks on foot. I was thinking about our friend Henry Groover, the prayer walker. He certainly is a footman, isn't he? It really means to bring hastily. So sometimes there is a rush to what God gives us to do. It means to bring hastily and to divide speedily. Divide means to figure it out, you know, by the Spirit. You gotta be quick to grab on to what these prayers mean. And if you don't, don't understand them, you have questions, you can always ask questions, you know, we'll give you explanation and so forth. We've got teachings on, on, uh, video and, and a CD on the Watchman. All of these things are explained. So, um, it's, it's beneficial to go back and refresh yourself in these things. And you'll understand that you really are called to something. You know, you're not just here because you don't have anything better to do on Saturday and Sunday. You're here for a purpose. Amen. So waiting is not actually weariness. Amen. Isaiah 40, 31. We all know it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So really the waiting that we do on the vision is a renewing waiting. It's not an idle and a bored waiting. It's a waiting that's necessary that we can recharge, renew, rejuvenate. So it's an energized waiting. Amen. And in getting is like, uh, I always liken it to a runner in the starting blocks. You know how they got to wait there for a while for the race to start. And then when the gun goes off, we're off and running again. Amen. With the vision. 
Amen. And you run with that word inside of you because you know it's going to come to pass. You know you're going to reach the finish line. Amen. So we run and not grow weary. Amen. Waiting is not weariness. It actually combats weariness. So when you wait upon the Lord, it's to renew your strength. It's not because you're bored and you don't have anything to do. Huh? So if you stay in the spirit, you find there's a lot going on. <laughs> I'm serious. Try it sometimes. You'll find God has many things for you to get involved in, many things for you to do that are spiritual things. I'm not talking about just nonsense things, you know, uh, but spiritual things. That's why God provides seasons to run and seasons to wait. Amen. He knows how to work this. So we run by unction and we wait by unction. Amen. If there's nothing to do that you know specifically God has given you to do, then you just pray and you stay in the presence of God and allow God to, you know, let him know you're available and he has your full attention. And don't go planning things just because you think you have the ability to go do something. You got me? Learn how to be quiet before the Lord so that when you come out of the waiting and he gives you an unction to do something, it's beneficial to you. It's not going to get you in trouble. Amen. It'll help you. So that's why God provides these different seasons. He knows what we're capable of. He knows the events that are going on in his kingdom because he runs them. If if you're not refreshed, he can always replace you with somebody else. So don't think you're the only one or the work will wait for you. Amen. While you recharge yourself. man. So that's why God provides the seasons, seasons to run and seasons to wait. Psalm 147.15 says the word runs very swiftly upon the earth. So when we run, we're running in sync with the word. See, the word runs swiftly. And when we hear that word and we speak that word, we run in sync with that word that's running in the earth. We hear the word in the spirit where it runs and we it runs to allow people to hear and run with it. Amen. Messengers always run with their message. Man. I believe that God identifies us by our running and by our waiting. Um, it's like if God needs something done, like right away, I believe he has people that he knows will pick that up and go run with it so that it'll get done. You understand? He he identifies you by your energy, by your alertness, by your pace. Let me show you where that is in the word because people think. Second Samuel 18. Turn to there. I'll, I'll read that in Second Samuel Verse 18. Sometimes you wonder why these things are in, in the Bible, but everything has a purpose. If you ask God what it's there for, He'll show you what it's there for. <laughs> therefore, you need to find what therefore is there for. Second so Samuel 18 and verse 24. 
And David sat between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king and the king said if he's alone there are tidings in his mouth or or there's a message in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near and the watchman saw another man running and the watchman called to the porter and said behold another man running alone and the king said he's also bringing tidings so they both had a message and the watchman said I think the running of the one in the front is like the running of Ahimaaz the son of Zadok the priest and the king said he is a good man and comes with good tidings. And Ahimas called and said to the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, which has delivered up men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Amahaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know. I saw a lot of trouble and confusion, in other words, but I didn't know what the purpose of it was. And the king said to him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. Then behold, Cushy came. And Cushy said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the lord has avenged thee this day of all them that rose against thee. And the king said to Cushy, Is the young man Absalom's? safe Cushy answered and said the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee do thee hurt but that be as that young man is so Absalom's dead and the king was much moved and went into the chamber over the gate and wept and as he went he said oh Absalom my son my son Absalom would God that I had died for you Absalom my son so God is able to identify in the spirit how we run what do you do with what God gives you to do you are marked in the spirit with how by how you respond because you see these watchmen looked out and saw the two men running far off and then as he watched them for a while he said that looks like he runs like so the way you run identifies you in the realm of the spirit how do you think God can get work done if he doesn't mark those and how they respond to his instruction what did he say about Abraham he says I know him he says shall I hide what I'm going to do for him seeing as he's going to be a great nation one day and I know him I've watched him for a season I know how he runs He said he's going to command his family after him. So I can trust him. He's not going to fall down on the job and compromise like so many do. Amen. He's going to command his children to obey me and do everything I tell them to do. Amen. So let that be your your report too. Let that be God's report about you as well. Amen. That you respect God and you allow him to help you to command your family. Don't don't stand off your watch and just get passive and not care what they do you got to care what they do how they use their time how they use their money 
how they live, what do they do with their lives, all that. You gotta care about that stuff and make sure it lines up with what God's will is for them. So, messengers run with their message. We must, uh, they, uh, so there has to be a target to our running, okay? So when we run, and we run with the word, where do we take that word? You take it to the opposition. You take it to the gates of hell. When you run with the word concerning the seed of the righteous, you are taking that word to the gates of hell and telling them what your children are. Amen? Yeah, they, they're, they hate sin and the devil. They don't love sin. Devil, they don't belong to you. They will be delivered, though hand join in hand. You got me? I see them delivered already. You don't see them sitting around wasting time or you try to ignore it like it doesn't matter. And you're not living in some false vision of they're saved already. They just don't know it. Don't start fooling yourself like that, folks. You you want to get your kids out of hell. So when you run with the word, you take it directly to the devil and the gates of hell. And you demand that they open and allow God's glory to come into your your situation. Because you have a vision of the glory, which means that you carry it on your voice. You carry it in your prayers. You carry it in everything that you do. Amen? So you don't think the whole world is coming to judgment and everybody's going to be lost and thrown in the lake of fire. You believe that the earth will be filled. Ninety percent of people on the earth will know the Lord. Amen. They'll be able to talk freely about they have knowledge of the glory of the Lord, of the goodness of the Lord. Not the lies about God that he doesn't like them or he doesn't like this person or this person's under judgment. They're going to go to hell and all of this kind of stuff. All the judgment people I ever see eventually quit and give up on what they say their call and their assignment is. And they need to because they never had a vision from God to believe with. Because if you think he's going to destroy everybody on the earth, I got news for you. If you read the first book of the Bible, you'd know better than believe that. Or most of the people are coming. Don't don't go in for that kind of nonsense. Don't even listen to people. Go read your Bible instead. Amen. I don't argue with them. I don't try. You know, if they, they can believe, because God will prove out what's true and what's not. You know, he, you know, I see people, God sent me to, uh, so and so and such and such. And, well, the people wouldn't hear, so he told me, shake the dust off my, he ain't told you that. Never sent you to begin with. You just thought the, the, you thought you wanted to go. And it wasn't what you thought it was gonna be when you got there. Hmm? God sends you somewhere you're equipped to work, sugar. <laughs> Not going there for a party or a good time. You're there to work. Amen. I remember we went to D.C. I'm trying to think how long did we stay there? Maybe like two or three days. I mean, it was crunch, crunch, crunch. And we went Washington for Jesus. And I asked the Lord. I don't assume things. And I don't make him make certain things happen. But I did ask the Lord. I said, Lord, since we are going this distance, would you give us the last day so that we can have 
some sightseeing. We want to see some of the national sites and so forth and so on. And, and, uh, we were able to get the Washington for Jesus, even though it was rained out. It was a, somebody I, uh, found me on Facebook recently and reminded me. They said, do you remember in, in the nineties when we went to Washington for Jesus? I said, yes, I was but a child prophetess at the time. And I remember, I think I remember. But anyway, she said, I was there. She, remembered all the details about she said and i remember she said it rained the whole time she said we went out and we prayed outside and we were dry she said we got dry as soon as and i never even remembered that part of it but she received people remember when god shows up amen they remember the miraculous they remember the glory Man, so those things are, are impactful and powerful with people. So I was telling her, I said, it's, I said, I said, you know what? I said, I've been thinking about that. I said, I haven't told anybody, but I'll tell y'all now, but I've been, I've been praying about going back again because I felt like the Lord was telling me we need to go back and pray again in, in the nation's capital. And, uh, I said, the fact that you're mentioning it to me after all these years, I said, I just believe God's confirming to me. I said, so I'll start praying. And she said, if you go, please let me know. She said, I would love to go again. So, so God will start gathering the people, folks. You know, you just don't, I mean, come on now. And if it's not for her to be there by the time we plan it, she'll have other plans or something. But God will work this out. You understand what I'm saying? But it, it, it sometimes amazes me when he wants things done. He knows how to get us in gear to do the things that need to be done. How we're going to pray, what we're going to pray when we get there, I have no clue. And I don't need to have a clue. I just need to go do the first steps and get obedient and get down there. Amen. But God afforded us uh, such a wonderful time while we were there. You know, just that half day of sightseeing. It was it was everything was first rate. And people would say that to me. They said, I can't believe she said this. She said, they say everything you do is first class. I said, that's God, honey. I said, he opens these doors. I said, I just have the boldness and confidence in him to walk through them when he opens them. And so it, it was a good thing. It really was it, that God was able to bless us in that way. Amen. We had a tour guide that got on the bus, took us all to the right places. We had a lunch at the Smithsonian. Uh, and when we got there, we walked past senators and Congress people and everybody. And they said, oh, we got your table for you. I said, yay. <laughs> and we have, we were late too. We, we weren't on time because the, the uh, tour took a little extra, about half hour extra, but she waited it for us. That was God. God is so good. Amen. You know, after you've worked for him and, and you want to rest a little bit and enjoy yourself and stretch out, he does that for you. But you got to get his permission to do it. You can't assume he wants you, you know. I don't go around trying to uh, push my way into anything. I did it when I was a sinner and it was tiring. So I made up my mind. I would let God open doors. If the, if he graciously opens the door, I graciously walk through. 
and take whoever God tells me to take with me, but but I'm not trying to force my way and demand. Oh, you we're Christians and we're, you know. Sometimes you mention you're a church and you get bad treatment because the last church that walked off and owed them money. So I, you know, you know what I'm saying. You just don't try to have your own personal leverage anymore. So. Um, God wants salvation into the earth too. And, and that's, he says in Isaiah 60 verse 18, that your walls shall be called salvation and your gates praise. Write that down, Isaiah 60 18, cause that's part of the vision too. Your walls are salvation, your gates are praise. In other words, you'll be a house of praise. There will be praise resounding. Salvation resounding. You'll be a place of refuge for people. There will be help for people where you are. Amen. Because you're trustworthy. Because you have God's stamp of approval on you. Amen. So when we run, we run upon the enemy and overpower him and his forces. Amen. So there is no waiting to take a stand against the enemy. Why? Because the price has already been paid for your deliverance. When we oppose the enemy, we do it swiftly. We're not timid. We're not reluctant. We take authority and we bind him. And we're not looking for compromise. We have no fear in us. And sometimes the waiting is for us to prepare ourselves and get rid of all the fear and the doubt and all that stuff that tries to attach itself to us. Amen. Just like a runner, you know, sometimes they'll be weighed down with their clothing's too heavy or, you know, every year in the Olympics you see different kinds of gear for them to wear to run in, uh, because everybody's trying to get themselves faster, uh, get more burdens off of them, lay aside the weight. And the sin that so easily besets us. Amen. And run this race with patience. So when we run with the word against the enemy, we are obeying the unction of God. God always wants you to resist the devil. He always wants you to submit to him. He always wants the devil to run from us, not the other way around. Amen. So when we wait, we obey an unction as well. Many of the things that we receive from God immediately we receive because of the atonement. The price has been paid for them already. So there's no waiting on your healing. There's no waiting on your deliverance. There's no waiting on salvation. You be Just like you'll say to somebody, well, when you pray this prayer and you'll be saved, and at the end of the prayer you say, you're saved, welcome to the family of God. They say, well, really? Yeah, that's all it took? Yep, that's a big step. Same thing with healing. Same thing with getting them free from the devil's power. All of that. Amen? And you got to believe that. Same thing for your prosperity. You don't have to keep laboring and laboring and buying more books and more tapes and more things and joining the debt-free club and uh, all these. (laughs) I mean, I think that's good for some people. But listen, folks, you receive what you do by faith. I know I've told this testimony before about when we first got saved. I wasn't working. Um, I was 
in the mental hospital for part of the time when I got out. I had to, to get my health back before I could handle the stress of having a job. And um, I was concerned about, well, we're used to having two paychecks. Lord, what do we do? And I remember that we would, would um, put our, we'd get a tax return, put it in the bank. And I remember over a period of months, we would, you lose use part of it and it dwindled down that first year i wasn't working that money went nowhere we had that same amount of money from year to year and then it added up over the years it never diminished and so i knew that we had prospered till i got in church and church people told you you was cursed do you understand what i'm saying some things Religion cannot talk you out of. But you're going to have to fight religion in order to hold on to what God's given you. And I think if we take what God gives us and build on that instead of going backwards and trying to buy ourselves out of a curse that only the blood could buy us out of and not put your faith in being cursed. You understand what I'm saying? We'll we'll do a lot better financially every uh, every other way, amen. I've always believed God that my property would go up in value, and and uh, I told God I said, well, when it gets to a certain amount of dollar value, I believe I'm going to sell it. I didn't say anything about what else was going to go on. And so recently the camp said, oh, we got an opportunity for this property. It's over where we want to rate Rachel to go to school. And I think we should take that. I said, fine. And then I looked at the evaluation of my property. It's right at the point I said it would be. I said, good, I'm going to. <laughs> Just got, got more back, that's all. But as soon as that clears, I'm gone. You understand what I'm saying? And I'll have equity built up. Uh, from that house so I don't have to be concerned about finances. In fact, I haven't worried about them since I got saved. That's been over 35 years ago. You got me? I just obey God. I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to make anybody feel any way. I'm just telling you the truth. If you believe God's word, then you have everything that you need in the blood of Jesus. It's paid for everything that you'll ever need. So you're not trying to earn some some kind of return on your giving at all. Don't be don't be a chump. You got me. You find all these people, and Benny Hinn busted everybody. He said, "I just don't believe if you give God a certain amount of money, He's got to give you a certain amount back." You see, he said, "I never said anything because I didn't want to hurt my friends who were preaching that." And that's sad. I feel you can't tell the truth, which you know in your heart to be true because you don't want to offend some of your friends who are making money off of it. Grow up, okay? Just grow up, okay? And learn how to talk to God about your money. You start talking to man about your money, you lose it every single time, talk you out of it. Uh-huh. But I gave, I gave $500, I got 500 back. I said, it's not God, you got cheated. The Bible says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He don't tell you even money. They won't tell you that in Las Vegas. And they're the biggest crooks around. They'll always promise you more. You understand what I'm saying? 
even money's not a blessing. Why would you give it? Should have kept it. You just sent it somewhere for no reason. They sent it right back to you. Grow up. That's all I can tell you is grow up. Cut the silliness out. You're redeemed from the curse of poverty. Stop living like you, you're under the curse. And start letting God bless you. Amen. Let your faith loose so that God can bless you according to your faith. Amen. Why don't we stop? We'll probably figure the rest of this out for tomorrow. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for understanding. Thank you for blessing us with wisdom and knowledge. Thank you, Lord, that we can benefit greatly from understanding your covenant and who we are and how much you love us. We don't have to work for your love. We don't have to work for your approval. We don't have to work for your blessings. You said only believe. We just believe, Father. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God.